1 Corinthians chapter 3. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as a people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not re yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labour. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through the fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ's and Christ is God's. If you were to think back over your life, who would be the most significant people who have had a major impact in your formation as a Christian? Now, I suspect for many of us who grew up in a Christian family that that role would probably have been our parents or maybe our grandparents may have been that significant person. Or maybe a Sunday school teacher or an RE teacher or a youth group leader, or a speaker at a Christian camp, or a pastor, or a minister, or an evangelist. Now, when we think about these significant people, many of us will recall people who laid the foundation, someone who led us to the faith in Christ and helped us to understand the basics of the gospel. Others of us may recall someone who was able to take us deeper, 
Uh, they may not be the one who started us off in our walk with Christ, um, but they've helped us to grow in the faith and, and to grow in our understanding. They may be somebody who has a spiritual gift of teaching, and so they have a gift of being able to help us to understand what God is saying in his word. And they can teach in such a way that we get it. Uh, and not only do we know stuff, but we know how to rightly apply it in our lives. And so most of us, if we think about people, we'll probably have a favourite Bible teacher or maybe two or three of them. People who have had an influence on us greatly as we've grown in the knowledge of Christ. The teaching ministry is a very important gift and ministry for the Christian church. Without it, we just don't grow or we grow very little. And when we get to chapter 12 of this same letter, Paul ranks the teaching ministry as number three, coming in after the ministries of, of apostles, which if you want to know an apostle is, think about those who wrote the New Testament, right? The apostles were the eyewitnesses to Jesus Christ. They were the ones who, who first... Um, testified to the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and then second down the line were the prophets. The prophets are the ones who, who actually speak the word of God. And then comes teachers. And so the teaching ministry, it's a very significant and very important ministry. God has provided teachers to rightly teach his word. Through their teaching, they build the church up. And so God provides teachers to the church. Why? So we can grow. And as I think back over my growth as a Christian, God has always provided gifted teachers to help me to learn and to help me to grow. Some of these have been local. Uh, some of them, and this is going to date me a bit, uh, some of them may have, uh, oh, I know one particularly had a cassette ministry. Uh, where cassette recordings of their messages were available around the world. And I used to listen to those on the tractor as I drove the tractor. Um, but then some of them, their teaching is written, and we have to actually read it to, to learn from it. But God has always provided teachers to help me to grow. And he does the same for you. But sometimes individuals, or maybe even a whole church, cease to grow. And this is what today's reading is talking about. Um, we're going to have just a little recap first. A couple of weeks ago, when we studied chapter 2, Paul was telling the Corinthian church that when he first planted that church, he laid the foundation. That's all he could do, because they were brand new Christians and they weren't ready to go any deeper. And so as a teacher, he laid the foundations of the gospel. But that isn't the end of the role of the teacher. Paul went on to say in verse 6, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. And in verse 13, he said, we, referring to him and other Bible teachers, interpret spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Right? He wanted to take them further. He wanted to take them deeper, just as soon as they were spiritually mature. So then last week we asked, well, who are the spiritually mature? Uh, are the spiritually mature those who know stuff? Is it those people who know the Bible and, and can quote it chapter and verse? Or is it those who have been Christians for a long time, for years or maybe even decades? And the answer we found was, well, maybe, maybe not. 
It's actually not so much about how much we know. It's not so much about how long we've been a Christian. The evidence of spiritual maturity is Christ-likeness. The spiritually mature have the mind of Christ. They think like Christ thinks. And so they demonstrate the very character of Christ in their lives. It's not only about what we know, it's about how we apply what we know and how we live out what we know and how the fruit of the Spirit becomes the very essence of our character. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So that was what we talked about a couple of weeks ago when we, when we looked at chapter 2. Now, as we come into chapter 3, as Paul writes to this church in Corinth, we're learning that he wants to take them deeper. But he knows that he can't. Because they're either not going to understand it, or they're not going to accept what he has to say. Why? Because only a spiritual person can understand the things of God. And every bit of evidence was pointing to the fact that these people, even though they were a church, were not a spiritual people. They were behaving in a very unchristlike way. He says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as a people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it and even now you are not yet ready for you are still of the flesh for while there is jealousy and strife among you are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way now when Paul talks about there being jealousy and strife in that church that's a very telling phrase and it illustrates a fine line that we Christians sometimes walk in the Greek, the word that we translate here as jealousy is zealous, uh, which can be used in exactly the same way that we use our word zealous, which is a good thing. We can have zeal in a good way, or we can have zeal in a bad way. For the Greek word zealous, there are actually two clear meanings which are actually quite different to each other. And which meaning it, it's to use depends on the object of our zeal. So where the goal is good, zealous means eager, striving, competition, enthusiasm, admiration. And so in a good way, we can be zealous in our praise for God. Uh, we can be zealous in striving to live righteously. It means that we're really keen to put our full effort into it. Are there any zealous Christians here? Well, I actually hope there are. Come on, are there any zealous Christians here? A zealous Christian is somebody who's really keen to be living for their Lord. They're really keen to be sharing their faith in Christ. They're always going to be witnessing for Jesus. Good, there's a few zealous Christians here. But when in a bad sense, the zeal has had a wrong goal and it's become a defect, it then means jealousy ill will, envy. And so therefore, a zealot can mean someone who's 
striving to reach good goals. Or a zealot can be a jealous man, an envious man, a spiteful man, doing whatever they can to put a stop to that with which they disagree. And so we might feel that we're being zealous for God. But if our mind is not the mind of Christ, our zeal can become terribly destructive. And a good example of this is Paul himself. Before he became a Christian, he still loved God and he was zealous for God. How did he express that zealousness for God? He pursued those Christians because they were so wrong and so bad and he was hunting them down and he was killing them. But then when Saul became a Christian and his mind was changed, and he took on the mind of Christ, his zealousness for God was transformed and it became a good thing. Now, this is what was happening in Corinth. Their zealousness was accompanied by strife, which is conflict coming from rivalry and discord. And, and the Greek words for strife, eris, is quite often a verbal form of discord. Um, we always say the bad thing about somebody or you don't have a good word to say about that person. And for Paul, this was all very clear evidence that this church in Corinth were not a spiritual people. They were zealous, all right, but their zeal was destructive. They thought that they were being zealous for God, but their zeal produced discord and criticism, and they only had bad words to say when they put the other down. And he could see that they were behaving in a very human way and not in a Christ-like way. And they had come to the point of developing factions within the church. What that means is that they would argue with one another and that they would claim authority and rightness for their position because they followed a particular teacher. And I follow this teacher, I know what I'm talking about, but you, you following that other teacher, they're just, you know, they don't, that's an inferior teacher. Right, You don't know what you're talking about. Now, I reckon most godly teachers would be horrified if they found that their name was being invoked to create divisions within a church. And Paul tells us why. In verse 4, he says, For when one says, I follow Paul, another says, Well, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? We're servants. In fact, the word that he uses there, doulos, it's actually slaves. It's the most lowly of slaves. We live in the era of celebrity preachers. Um, and yes, we can all think of teachers who have helped us to grow in our faith. But let's never put these people up on a celebrity pedestal and say, well, that's my authority. That's the person I follow. Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. And that's the way it is. He says, he who plants and he who waters are one. We're all just lowly slaves. God provides 
all gifted and godly teachers to help us to grow. But the teacher never makes us grow. God makes us grow. Remember, it's only the Holy Spirit who can reveal to us the things of God. I could surround myself with a plethora of spiritually gifted, godly teachers, but unless my heart is in tune with the Holy Spirit, I'm not going to accept what they have to say. Or it might go in as head knowledge and never come out being expressed as a spiritual truth in my life or spiritual fruit. But you might say to me, but Michael, what if a teacher's giving me wrong teaching? Uh, and yep, that is a very valid concern to have. Jesus told us to watch out for false teachers. And that's why Paul here talks in terms of building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. False teachers will teach contrary to the foundation of the gospel. So, for example, if someone were to teach that Jesus is one of many ways to be saved, that would be a false teacher. If someone were to teach that Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, that would be a false teacher. If someone were to teach that you can just be good and do nothing bad and you'll be good with God, that is a false teacher. If someone were to teach you that you don't need to repent of your sins, that is a false teacher. If someone was to say you don't have to believe in Jesus to be saved, that would be a false teacher. But even so, many teachers who agree with the foundation of the gospel disagree on all sorts of other issues to do with the Christian faith. So, for example, one teacher might teach a prosperity message. God wants you to be rich, whereas another teacher will teach, well, that kind of message is just catering to a craving of the flesh and it's not a spiritual teaching at all. One teacher might teach, it, teach a, a name it and claim it message and, say, you, you, and teach you just have to say it, believe it, and it will be done. Whereas another teacher might teach about the lordship of Christ and how we are to submit to Jesus Christ as Lord and, and seek his will above what we will. Uh, one teacher might teach that near the end of time, all of the Christians are going to get taken out of the world before the troubles begin. Um, whereas another teacher will show through the scriptures how God will be giving Christians strength as they bear the persecutions that are to come. All right, These are not issues that destroy the foundation of the gospel. But even so, they're still important issues. Um, and two opposing arguments can't both be right, can they? There is only one foundation, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Godly teachers will rightly build on this foundation. But what they teach, what I teach, will be tested by God. It's really important we get it right. But even so, I'm not infallible. I know that I'm not infallible. And I know the heart of man. No teacher is infallible. And that's one of the reasons I spend so much time preparing for a message, reading the scriptures, 
praying for guidance, listening to the Holy Spirit, listening to other teachers, reading good quality commentaries, because I don't want to teach you guys something that's untrue. And I hope that even after I've done all that preparation that you don't just take my word for it. That even today you'll go home and search the scriptures to see that what I've said is true. But ultimately, it is God who will test the work of the teacher. Paul uses the example of the building. He said, like a skilled master builder, I laid the foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. And then he lists two different types of building materials. Some are valuable and lasting. Others are cheap, flimsy and flammable. And basically what he's saying is that when Jesus returns, what has been taught is going to be tested with fire. And if what a teacher has taught is of lasting value, that teacher will be rewarded. But if the teaching is shown to be empty, fleshly, unspiritual, that teacher will suffer loss. Uh, if they're a Christian, they'll still be saved, but only by the skin of their teeth. And I suspect that, that on the day when Jesus makes that call, we will be surprised to see some very popular and probably world-renowned teachers suffer great loss, while many unknown but faithful teachers from, from the tiniest churches all over the world will receive a great reward. So this, this is a pretty tough warning to those who teach. And at this point, I, I can only speak for myself, but I take this very seriously. And most teachers I know also take this very seriously. So what Paul is saying is we teachers are fellow workers. We are lowly slaves merely doing what God has called us to do. You are God's field. You are God's building. God is making you grow. And part of that growth is through the ministry of teachers. But then from verse 16, the tone starts to change and he becomes a bit harder. Paul comes down pretty hard on the Corinthian church. Why? Because God has provided them with a package deal of preachers and they were good ones. Paul, Apollos, Peter, the package deal of preachers to help them to grow. But the Corinthians only wanted teachers who would affirm them in the position that they were taking in this divided church. And they were divisive. They were destroying God's temple. Verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Now, most of us think of, think of this as, I am God's temple, right? We, we know that Bible reading where it says, you are, you, you, our body is God's temple. And when we get later on in this letter to chapter 6, verse 19, that's exactly what it's saying. Each one of us individually as Christians, our body is God's temple. But that's not what it's saying here. 
Here it's specifically talking about the church. Not the individual, but the gathering. He's saying you, plural, are God's temple, singular. Do you know this? And here's the warning. If you destroy God's temple, God will destroy you. Whoa. That's hard words to a church that's filled with jealousy and strife. God's temple is holy. Your brothers and sisters in Christ are the church. The church is holy. They are set apart for God. If a person has been set apart for God, if a person has been set apart as part of his holy church, no matter how imperfect that person may seem to me, seem to be to me, if I destroy that person, or if I destroy a church, God will destroy me. Wow. This is serious stuff. This is very serious stuff. Factions and divisions within a church cause all sorts of harm. But here Paul focuses our attention primarily on two things. Firstly, as we've just discovered, factions and divisions within a church destroy God's church and they destroy individual Christians. And this is no little matter. God will destroy those who destroy his set-apart ones. Secondly, factions and divisions deprive us of opportunities to grow through God's teachers. The picture that Paul paints here of the Corinthian church, well, it's pretty awful. He says that there are people who are self-deceived. They are so self-righteous and they're so confident that they themselves are wise and that everybody else is foolish. And so for them, ministry and particularly the, the teaching ministry has become an instrument of self-affirmation. That means they will only listen to a teacher if that teacher will affirm them in what they already feel about themselves. And the challenge of the cross and the perception of what it means to be spiritual becomes so distorted and so broken that they would even destroy God's church, that they would even destroy God's chosen ones rather than listen to God's teachers who would help them to grow. They thought that they were wise that they knew everything that there was to know. They felt that they were spiritually superior even to the teachers that God had sent to them. But isn't it so true that God catches the wise in their craftiness? Right, verse 21. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. And it goes on to explain how all the teachers, and not only the teachers, but the world, and life, and death, 
belong to Christians. I think what he's saying here is that God gives all of these things and experiences in all of these things, all the teachers, even life itself, everything the world has to throw at us, God gives us all of these experiences so that we will grow in Christ. One commentary I read puts it like this. Why do you limit yourselves by claiming that you belong to a particular teacher? Do you not realise that all teachers, indeed all things that are, belong to you in Christ? So far from enriching themselves by staking their claim to exclusive rights in one teacher, the Corinthians were impoverishing themselves. They were making themselves poorer. They were cutting themselves off from greater treasures that were really theirs. Now, I personally, I've really struggled with this reading today. Um, I've struggled with it because I know there's a lot of unspiritual teaching out there. Is God telling me that I can learn from these teachers? Yeah, he actually is. A lot of years ago, a so-called prophet was invited to one of the Pentecostal churches here in town and I went along to hear what he had to say. Now, let's just say he had a fair bit of wacky teaching. But I've always remembered one thing he did say. He said, keep the meat and spit out the bones. And well, let me tell you, that night there wasn't much meat to be kept uh, and I did spit out a lot of bones. But I've always remembered that saying. And I, I personally, I, I have a problem sometimes. When I hear a Christian teacher say something that I disagree with, well, my natural reaction is to call into question every single thing that that teacher ever says ever again. But the thing is, if I stop listening to every teacher every time I disagreed with any little point that they had, I'd very soon stop listening to every teacher. And I'd very soon stop growing. And so I might hear a teacher on Christian radio and think, well, what he just said is rubbish, really. But then in the next few phrases, he might come out with some real pearls of godly wisdom. Now, do I throw away those pearls of godly wisdom simply because of the rubbish earlier on? Of course not. It's just another opportunity for me to grow in Christ. It's an opportunity for me to explore with another teacher why I do or why I don't agree with what the first teacher said. So what opportunities is God giving us to grow in him? Or perhaps more to the point, are we spiritually mature enough to hear God speaking when he does speak so that we do grow? Do I have a teachable heart? Or am I merely looking for someone who will affirm me in what I already feel to be right? The gift and the ministry of teaching is God's gift to us, the church. Its purpose is to help us to grow. And I need to be growing as much as you need to be growing. But let us never, ever put any teacher up on a pedestal and say, that's my man. He's always right. I'm going to always follow what he has to say. 
Because a teacher is nothing but a lowly slave working with other lowly slaves for God to grow his church. A teacher can't make us grow. It's God who makes us grow. The thing is, God chooses teachers to do it. When we hear the word of God being explained by a teacher, the spirit of God inside of us takes what God is saying through that teacher and helps to make us grow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you today for your teachers who you've placed in your church to help us to grow. Lord, we think of the Sunday school teachers. We think of the teachers that have been in our lives through our own home. We think of Bible study leaders. We think of ministers and pastors. We think of those teachers who we hear on the radio and who we listen to on DVDs and cassettes. And we thank you for those teachers who have written commentaries. Lord, we thank you for all those who help us to understand your word. And Lord, we don't want anything in our lives to be a barrier to our growth. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come alive in us. Lord, in whichever way that any of us are acting in a human way, or any way that we allow the flesh to govern the way that we either behave or the way that we process what you want to teach us, Lord, we, we ask that you would just override the flesh, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, that we would become a spiritual people, helping us to discern from your word and from your teachers how you would have us live. Lord, we pray for a great spiritual growth, not only in ourselves, but in this whole church, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.